0: Imagine surrounding yourself with incredible women, women who've overcome challenges, they've rebounded after failures and disappointments, and women who are not afraid to shine their brilliance to make a mark in the world. These women support other like-minded women because they know there is plenty of opportunity for everyone and that together we really can make a difference grow our businesses while have fun along the way. This is what Women in Leadership Podcast is all about. Welcome. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Grab a cover of your favourite beverage, pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. And welcome to another episode. So my guest today says, there is no such thing as a fearless leader, but they can fear less. Joining me on today's show is Nancy Lyons. Nancy, she is an author, she's a speaker, an entrepreneur, she's a founder and a CEO, and her company Clockwork is an experienced design and technology consultancy. Now on today's show, Nancy is going to share how we can learn to ask for what we want. She's going to share some insights so we can learn how to say no, you know, that no is a sentence. And she's also going to share some other insights and learning how we can have those difficult conversations. Lots to discuss on today's show. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love that quote that uh, your team shared that you say, you know, there is no such thing as a fearless leader, but they can fear less. It's a bit of a process in that when you think of all of the realms of uh, what leaders have to contend with these days, and I uh, look forward to unpacking A bit more about some of the key points. Share a little bit about uh, your journey, if you will, to where you are today. You're now a consultant CEO or consultancy, I should say, you're CEO of Clockwork. What is the pathway that led you down to founding that company, being the founder of that company?
1: Sure. Well, it was a jagged pathway for sure. And I think, you know, some of the most interesting people I know, um, can attest to the fact that we can make all the plans we want and none of them actually happen the way we imagined. Um, and my, my career story is certainly a reflection of that. I, um, was a theater major in college. I thought I was going to be a comedian. I thought when people asked me when I was a young person, what are you going to do when you grow up? When I was very little, I said astrophysicist because it was a word that I learned and I thought I was something. When I got old enough to actually think about it, I said, you're going to see me on Saturday Night Live someday. That's what's going to happen. And, you know, n- none of those things came to pass. Um, I I did study theater. I think it was one of the best things I did for my career um, because I think speaking, writing, you know, selling. Um, managing people. There's something in theater for any business um, and something in learning acting for any business. So I did dinner theater. I I did try to be a comic. I did go to grad school when that wasn't panning out. I did drop out of grad school to be involved in the first startup that I got involved in. Um, I tried to teach myself how to code and I started Figuring that out. So, you know, I got involved in internet technologies when the internet first became mainstream. And um, so that was in the 90s. And I was a young person who was really interested in that space, but mostly because when I when theater wasn't really paying the bills, I started to explore uh video production. Mm-hmm. And video production was fascinating to me. But when I looked around, There were no women directors there were no women behind the camera there were no women leading in that space and i was a line producer a production assistant i had a number of roles but what i found myself doing more than anything was getting the coffee for the director coming in really early at four in the morning and setting up props for a shoot when the men would roll in at a normal time um picking up children from daycare for the male director uh, you know, you know, exciting things like that. And so I thought, I, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life because I don't think these people are going to give me an opportunity to really explore the things that I'm interested in. So that's when I started to explore technology. And it was before there were a lot of, you know, there were certainly uh, computer engineers, computer scientists, but not the variety of avenues into that space that there are now. There weren't as many certificates and camps. There was none of them. There was nothing. I mean, we didn't even know what we were talking about. There was no language. So I started to teach myself how to code. I got involved with um, a a group of people who had started a bulletin board service, which is the early social web. And... um, they uh, started in from that bulletin board service. I joined, joined their team. We uh, started selling internet services, getting people on dial-up when modems were, you know, 2400 baud and you had to wait for that crazy noise mm-hmm. um, to get online. And we built that company. Literally, I remember driving around, and like, cause it was a, it was a regional service. I would drive to people's homes because they didn't really get how to use that floppy disk to get onto the internet. So I'd go to their houses and tech support was very different then. it wasn't a bot. It was me showing up at the door of somebody and helping them get online. Um, yeah. And we started building websites in 1995. Um, we, our first uh, commercial client was BASF. Uh, We then built for a wide variety of B2B and B2C um, uh, sites, some of them for the very first time, their very first websites. We worked with um, H.J. Hines and Miller Coors and, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, FedEx and all sorts of great brands. And we sold that company in 2001. Mm Mm-hmm. Completely. We had some investors come in at some point, but we sold that company in 2001 and we started Clockwork in 2002. And we used to joke and say it wasn't a, a startup. It was a start over. Yes. And it was us applying everything we learned. And, you know, obviously we started in the web development space, but we have evolved so dramatically over the last 21 years that um, we find ourselves now in competition with the likes of Accenture and Slalom and Deloitte, and we're just a little a little uh, shop. Um, but I think what we bring that's different when we consult with our clients is we have a change practice, so we don't just focus on the technology. We are a human-centered company, so we focus on the people too, um, and we ensure that your technology investment will pay off because we're going to bring people along with us. So what we work on is people process and technology in that order. We center the humans, both inside organizations and customers and, uh, define the processes that will ensure that they understand how to manage these applications after we build them. And, uh, and then the technology that we put in place after, you know, a relatively long engagement. So, it's a again a, a- Uh, not a, not a straight and narrow path, but one that I don't regret at all.
0: Yeah, That's incredible. And I'm so glad I asked you that question. I knew that there was going to be some incredible uh, insights and just hearing you share that. I mean, you would bring to the table, being that you're a pioneer in in so many different aspects, right at the coalface when something was just beginning, there's nothing like that experience that you can draw upon, um, you know, in, in what you're doing now, because you've been able to see so many things evolve and come. I mean, could you ever imagine where you are now with the technology that's available at your fingertips many, many no. years ago? I mean, you wouldn't no. have even been able to think it, you know, that, right. that wasn't possible wasn't so, uh,
1: Right. I mean, as a Star Trek fan, you know, I, I think we imagined it. We imagined that that was coming down the pike and we certainly hoped for, you know, the the continuous evolution of the technology. But I think being in it, is interesting. The other thing that I think is worth noting is the business skew is very, very young. And, um, and yet, it's a it's a much broader workforce now than it ever has been, because I'm not the only one who grew my entire career in the space of internet technology. Um, So, you know, we used to make a joke about, you know, when you design the simplicity of design is essential in any digital product so design for your mom except now I am the mom right like and I know what I'm doing so I think we have to understand audience that much more because we can't make assumptions based on generations
0: yeah so true and also too what you were saying about that simplicity is so so important I mean you can take that at that principle and apply it across all aspects of business and, and life isn't it I think that that's brilliant so I mean if we think Um, to the opening quote there's no such thing as a fearless leader but they can fear less throughout that journey and the decisions and as you said it wasn't just a linear path but it took you on lots of different uh you know turns and and so forth i would imagine throughout your career that you have learned to fear less the 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 different things that maybe you have have approached share a little bit about that how how Mm -hmm. you've overcome that the sure that fear
1: well you know that that quote is actually from my book Work Like a Boss and I use it a lot because I think that people convince themselves of what they're able to accomplish or do based on the you know based on the stories they tell themselves I, and their stories are grounded oftentimes in fear. And so they convince themselves they're not good enough, what will people think, I can't raise my hand, I don't want to be too loud, I don't want to overshadow anybody and there's a million reasons for why you shouldn't show up um you know ready to make a decision, ready to take initiative. And one of the things that I try to impress upon a, a variety of audiences really is the value of an intrapreneur, whether you started the business or not, having a risk taker inside the business, having somebody who's a problem solver, who can take initiative, who can move forward with something is of real value to any set of leaders. And yet, I think we see less and less of that with you know technology and all sorts of things. We see less of that and more people want to you know, abdicate responsibility for um, how work works, how they do their job. It's all about their job. I, I, I do what's in my job description. I don't do any more than that, right? Like this is how I show up. And what I try to tell people is, you know, we we talk a lot about leadership, but the truth is we all have to show up leaderly. It's not about just executives. It's not about middle management. It's not about, you know, the people we write the books for. It's about everybody recognizing that work is changing and we all have to show up in our power and convincing ourselves of stories that simply don't have to be true is counterproductive. And so I often say, you know, I often ask audiences, you know, think of those people that you think just walk through the world with infinite confidence. They just have it going on, they seem like they you know they can speak in front of any audience they can represent you know their their organizations they're fast on their feet and they really feel like they are the an example of confidence and and i and i try to remind people then that they are not fearless you know everybody has moments where they are paralyzed by fear where they second guess themselves because of their fear of something where they're unsure where they're uncertain where they're uneasy there's not a human on the planet who doesn't deal with that but real leaders regardless of title figure out how to move through it how to move into it and through it in spite of their fear yeah and I think that is certainly something I've learned over time Mm -hmm. um I'm also somebody because of I think that theater training quite quite frankly who had less fear in certain contexts, meetings that were all men, for instance, which was a good chunk of my career, or, you know, meetings with large um, corporations and, and big, um, you know, uh, important executives. I could certainly tell myself stories about my, um, you know, my inadequacy, but the truth is I'm in that room for a reason. And I, I also often tell people, it doesn't matter how you got to the table. What matters is what you do when you get there. Like and I think that's where really sort of talking ourselves out of the paralysis of fear mm-hmm. and recognizing that we can compartmentalize that fear, that we can't we can't be rid of it, but we can contain it mm-hmm. so that it doesn't stop us from doing our best work and bring our best self. And and frankly, that's a muscle. So the first time <laughs> might feel terrifying. But as you, as you move into your career, as you move into your comfort with these challenging moments, um, you're, you're building that muscle.
0: Yeah, I love that that you've said that because you can use that same um, principle when you're talking about confidence and courage. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my mentors um, used to say, and it's so true, so often people wait for the level of confidence before they do this, before they put their hand up for a job or before they get out and speak, whatever it is, you just need that courage to take that one step and then the Mm -hmm. next step and the next step, you know, and uh, it's amazing. And I'm sure that if you were to ask everybody around the table, about their level of confidence or whatever feeling of inadequacy, everybody, I mean, I've even had discussions with CEOs who were responsible for mega budgets, who would often think, I, I, to be honest, I have no idea why I'm here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I still pinch myself there's a reason why you're here because of whatever it is. And as you said, I love that. Don't ask, don't question why you're here at the table. That doesn't matter. But what does is what you contribute, what you bring uh, to that table. Let's talk about something which I know many women can struggle with. Not that I'm, you know, wanting to lay this on, but how do we ask for what we want? What's some insights here that you could share? Sure. Well, you know, um, I, I see this in
1: a similar way as I see to, you know, I, I was on a call with somebody yesterday and she was telling me about all of her qualifications and when she got done, she said, I don't mean to brag. I said, please do. Please do brag. You deserve the space, right? Nobody else is going to blow blow your horn. And, um, and I think the same can be said for asking for what we want or need. Um, no one else is going to represent you. You know, appropriately or adequately in those moments, and it's on us to be clear about what our expectations are. Because I think that leaders lot leaders and and workforce alive alike, we have this tendency to act as if work happens to us, right? We are a victim of how work happens. And oh, I would have done something, but uh, it just you know, it just happened. Or oh, it's not my responsibility. You know, I'm not the person driving the ship. I'll I just have to deal with it. And I think that because we're used to sort of giving away our power in those sorts of statements, we don't use it when it matters the most. And then we get disgruntled. We get you know, frustrated. We feel like we're not getting what we need out of work. Well, I think any relationship, whether it's an interpersonal relationship, a a romantic relationship, when you don't articulate your expectations, you can never expect them to come to pass. And, Mm. um, And we have to believe, and especially women, that it is not misbehaving to be clear about your expectations, to ask for what you want or need. That is not misbehaving. It isn't you being too much or too big or too loud or too bold. There's no such thing as too, T-O-O. But but men do it all the time. Men laid the groundwork for exactly what this looks like, for being willing to set limits and have boundaries and stick to those boundaries and ask for what you need, whether it be salary, whether it be position or title, whether it be additional staff, whatever it is, resources, whatever it is, if you don't ask for it, you cannot act as if you've been victimized by an organization when you do not get it. Yeah. Um, and maybe you don't get it the first pass. You know, maybe the first time isn't when it happens. I think being clear, knowing that your ask has been documented giving the organization time to recognize the importance of that ask is equally as important, but, but making it known, Um, because otherwise you'll be frustrated. And quite frankly, so will your supervisor, your team, your department, your division. And, and I think that there is something about, especially women, we have been trained to believe that you and I use that word behave all the time right you have to behave to get what you want you have to you have to act like a, a nice a nice woman you have to you know sit in your in your chair the way you're supposed to sit in the clothes you're supposed to wear with the energy you're supposed to bring and and wait your turn mm-hmm. and then when it is your turn you you behaving means you are not too forceful or assertive in in what it is you're taking your turn for. And I think all of that is pointless. Certainly, I think navigating different situations um, requires skill. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be a bull in a china shop in every meeting, but you do get to be assertive. And there are ways to do it whether it's in how you stand or sit or the, you know, you can hear me. I'm I'm on a microphone with you right now. As you can imagine, every day is a soapbox day in my life. You know, I I start talking and baboom, it just doesn't end. And I generally ask for what I need. And there are certainly men or team members who experience that as off putting. But you, that's not my problem. It's theirs. Nine.
0: Yeah that's so true. Yeah. You know and you you can see that across an all different areas even you hear women say well they didn't hear me. Well <laughs> speak louder. Speak mm-hmm. not that you'd have to yell or there is some ways excuse me, I appreciate your point of view, then repeat what you have to say. I mean I love that reminder because there's there's always different aspects to a situation that has got you to that situation if that makes sense Mm -hmm. what is your contribution to that how did you contribute to that and when we start to think of it in that way you know how what and what else can you do to help contribute to the right direction like as you've said as long, are we clear on what it is that we want? I mean, when I was in the career industry, we spent m- most of our time as career coaches saying to people, have you mapped out a career management plan? Do you know where you're going? Do you know the projects? Do you know the networking events if you're limited for time and you know it's important? Which ones are central to you getting in front of the people in your organisation and the industry that you need to attend? All of those things. But people tended to be more reactive all of a sudden when they lost their jobs and then all of a sudden career management was important because they had to, you know, make a different decision. And all of these things can contribute to you being seen, being heard, being valued in the workplace, but you have to get clear on that yourself and know what that is for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Otherwise
0: you are going to get lost in um lost in that so that's so important now I'm sure you've heard the saying Nancy no is a complete sentence yes and this is something you know that we often struggle with even in our personal lives so many women um continuing to say yes to volunteering and that's fantastic if you've got the time but no uh, is important too how 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 can we do that Mhm.
1: Well, so there's a thread that runs through just about everything I'm talking about that I want to point to before I jump absolutely into this conversation around the word no. And the thread is about worthiness, about believing that we are worthy to speak up, to use our voice, that we are centered in our agency, uh, that we are worthy of saying no, that it's okay for us to say no. And I think that, you know, we I think I think hierarchy in the workplace has given us this impression that some of us are worth more than others, right? Mm -hmm. That some of us, because of title or position, have more value. And one of the things that I always try to impart upon people that I meet in these conversations is we are all good and valuable simply because we were born. You get to have a voice. You get to have agency. How you use it might require some skill because if you alienate the CEO or if you alienate your boss right out of the gate, that won't serve you. But if you are supportive of that person and assertive in being clear about your needs or requirements or what you're seeing on the horizon or where there might be a problem, um, you are actually supporting them and making them look good. That's a good thing. Um, so I think that the ability to say no comes from the 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 ability to fear less, right? We don't say no because we're afraid of what will happen if we say no. But in addition to that, we uh, avoid saying no because we feel like these are all opportunities to prove my worth or my value or my skill set. and Whatever it is, whether I'm volunteering, whether I get picked for extra hours, whether I get chosen to work on a particular project, whatever it is, saying no could be a detriment to our career, our, our, career plan. And I personally believe that self-awareness is the number one thing that you bring to, you know, knowing your limits, what are your limits? Because if you, and this is a lesson that I still am learning. Let me be honest. It's not something that I'm an expert at. Um, I think that being able to say no is equally as important as saying yes, and having the self-awareness to know your limits and being able to communicate that mm-hmm. requires some vulnerability, but also I think it makes you more valuable. When you are available, you'll be that much more valuable for the task because you're able to be honest with yourself and others. And that yes. is something you can't teach people. So I do think that no is a full sentence. I do think that, um, you know, women are constantly trying to prove themselves in all contexts, regardless of how much they've achieved. I think women are constantly trying to approve, uh, you know, uh, 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 make space um, for people to recognize their abilities. But you don't always have to do that by sacrificing your time and energy. And so simply saying no. And I think, you know, we also have this desire to qualify. Like, I'm guilty of this. If I say no, oh, gosh, I would really like to. But my family, you don't know anybody in explanation. Um, No, on its own. Stand strong. And I think it requires practice to really embrace that truth. But once you do, it is freeing, it is liberating, because then you really are able to prioritize those things that matter the most to you, because you're able to protect them and use no as the wall that you build around them.
0: Yeah, and this is like with everything else, isn't it? It it can be a process for people who have struggled in the past, and um, but it is something that you need to do. Like for instance, an example that you might have is that you may become known around the office for someone as someone who will pick up odds and end jobs. If they oh go and you know go and give it to Anne Marie because she'll always help us when we're out in a bind. And poor old Anne Marie is the go to for fixing all of the things. And then uh, if that's not not um part of the normal realm of your job, then that then gets inhibited. So Anne-Marie has to learn to say, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't qualify it. Don't, you know, oh, I'd love to help you. Actually, I wouldn't love to help you. What what issue are you having? Perhaps I can help you complete the role. Um, mm-hmm. what is it that you need or not doing well that I could, yeah, lead you in the right direction. Love that conversation. Here's something else which I think we may all try and avoid at one time in our careers uh and even personal lives is having those difficult conversations. Mm. How can we approach them? Because some some of the some of the issues that we're struggling with in our lives or careers and business uh, today are because we're not having those conversations. Mm-hmm. That we yeah, really know we need to be having, right?
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, again, I'm going to say, remember that that thread of around worthiness, because I think being able to confront something that's uncomfortable or somebody that is, you know, causing you some amount of pain or challenge or whatever concern. You are worthy. You can do it. Um, And and I think that's important. I I actually have a newsletter that I'll tell you about when we wrap up. But uh, last month, it was all about the art of difficult conversations. And I had somebody walk up to me at a football game um, at a you know, football game that my son played at to say, I just got your newsletter and it was so helpful. And I honestly thought it was so boring because it was so tactical. Like here's how you manage. And this woman was like, I, it it couldn't have been more timely. I absolutely needed this. And it walked me through sort of the steps that I needed, which I thought was, um, it was super validating. And I didn't expect that because having difficult conversations is not rocket science. It's not magic, right? It requires, um, Emotional intelligence um, in that it requires us to recognize that we have to listen, that we have to manage our emotions. Um, Not all confrontation is bad confrontation. Not all conflict is bad. Um, I think sometimes giving and receiving feedback in a work context is perceived as conflict, especially, you know, we don't like to tell somebody that we're actually not 100% satisfied with their performance. That's hard, right? And I think after a while, you become a grizzled old executive and maybe you can, but I don't think anybody wants to hurt anybody's feelings or devalue their contributions. And yet it's imperative that we are able to give critical feedback because that's what we owe people who come on board our organizations And um, I think, you know, one tip that I got from a mentor years ago that that I share with everybody that is the best way to begin a difficult conversation is instead of being accusatory or coming at it very hot, ask for help. Because there's not a human on the planet who doesn't feel inclined to offer assistance when they are asked. So, I mean, maybe there's two. Maybe there's two humans that are serial killers or something, but um, the rest of us, when somebody says, hey, I need your help, I don't know what to do about X, Y, and Z. And I'm finding your response to to it to be hard to handle. The second I say, I need your help, I've diffused um, so much of the heat in the issue. They're going to lean into the conversation. And even when I say you know, something personal, like even you seem to be you know, uh, 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 on, on the opposite side of me, and I'm not quite sure how we can coalesce around this issue and get, you know, more collaborative about it. I think when you approach something that way, you diffuse defensiveness, you, you know, they're, they're no longer worried. Instead, they become your partner in solving a problem. They're offering their help, so they see their contribution is meaningful, Um, And you can get through some really difficult messaging simply by asking for help. Um, You know, some other pointers that I included in that article were just listen more than you talk because understanding that person's point of view is not something most of us sort of naturally gravitate to when we are irritated or frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. Like we come, I think, you know, it's sort of fascinating to me that, um, humans are what they are. And yet we are not taught to have healthy interactions around difficult subjects yes. around frustrating subjects. Nobody teaches us how to do that. It's not modeled in families. You know, we talk about dysfunctional families for the most part, you know, our family of origin defines how we show up for difficult conversations Yeah. and difficult conversations and families of origin are fights, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're fights and, or they're nothing, they're nothing nobody addresses it. Right. And I live in Minnesota and Minnesota is the land of the passive aggressive where, you know, nobody addresses anything dead on. And that is so uncomfortable for me because, you know, they'll say anything, but what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And it actually grates on me worse than if you said, Nancy, you're ugly. You know what I mean? It's like, if, if you said something truly offensive, at least you'd be telling it like it is versus Mm -hmm. this roundabout way of getting to absolutely nothing. Um, and I find that's true in, in so many workplaces. So I think difficult conversations require breath. They require space they require thoughtfulness. You have to think about it before you move into it. Sometimes they require that space is you removing yourself from the moment, the most heated moment. It's really understanding and having empathy for the person you're about to have that rough conversation with. I mean, I've fired people in my time. I've put people on performance, you know, plans. I've I've talked to people about, you know, in, in uh, not inappropriate behavior, but behavior that just isn't serving our work. And in all of those cases, and I'll, I'll share a secret with you, my staff refers to me as a person who can punch you in the face and make you feel like you've been hugged.
0: Yeah. And
1: the reason for that is the empathy piece, right? Like sometimes I'll queue up a difficult conversation by saying, this isn't easy for me. And it's not going to be easy for you either. And I appreciate that we both can know that and and sit here committed not to the conversation itself but the outcome. What do we want for an outcome? Um, so really, thoughtfulness, breath, space, safety. How do we ensure the safety of both people or all parties? Um, you know, empathy, listening, um, and asking for help. Those are the those are the keys to having good hard conversations.
0: Yeah, I love what you've just shared and it just beautifully validates something that I was having in a previous conversation with uh, my last guest, which would have been when this airs on our podcast uh, audio platform. The week before, we talked about leaders having. Would you rather be liked or would you rather be respected? But when you blend them both, there's a respect there because of the fact that you have taken the time and you've you have all of the things, not just one, but what's whatever is necessary. And would you say? And here's a question. And I know how you what you're going to say, but often we, you know, as humans our inner critic and our voices come up with something, the reason why we may be avoiding it is, as you just so beautifully um, said, we're not taught. It's mm-hmm. not taught and it's not modelled to us. So one of the reasons why is um, that you feel inept, it's because you don't have the tools to be able to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. As you beautifully shared um, some of the, 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 the key things. Did you learn that over time? Was that modeled to you by other leaders or did you attend different trainings to help you or all of the above, all of the things? Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. I I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I definitely grew up in a family. I grew up in the Midwest, but both of my parents, uh, my father is from the East Coast and my mother went to school and medical school on the East Coast and was definitely somebody who was entrenched in the values of the East Coast of the U.S., Um, which are far more direct. If you go to, as a Minnesotan, Minnesotans that go to New York or New Yorkers that move to Minnesota Minnesota, are always freaked out by how people communicate. You hear it from, you know, and when you're working with the multinationals, it happens all the time. People move in from other coasts or other countries, and they are completely put off by how people communicate here because it is a master's class in avoidance in avoiding the actual issue and tiptoeing around it. And so I think for me I grew up in a family that was very direct. The problem with that was they were also very authoritarian so it wasn't like I had the ability to come back, right? It was like here's the issue, I'm not going to cou- I'm not going to, you know, tiptoe around it. You don't I don't care what your opinion is. Mm-hmm. So later on, so I realized the value of direct communication and then I think as I got older And more seasoned in my career, what I realized was for the longest time, I was trying to play the role of executive based on what I had experienced in other people, especially women, um, and how it had been interpreted for me. And what I realized um, in, you know, mid-career probably, probably later than I should have, is... executives come in all flavors they come in all flavors all sizes all models all you know there is no mold that we have to fit and my brand of directness my you know the way i show up is absolutely okay if i have the success to back it right like the like i always tell people confidence comes from competence It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you don't just walk through the world going, I know what I'm doing. You have to actually know what you're doing because it will be put to the test. And so I think this is similar, you know, my, I am competent at what I do Mm -hmm. and that gives me the confidence to have the conversations I need to have when I need to have them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's
1: interesting mm-hmm. how it's all sort of intertwined. All these different aspects of work and and uh, um, you know your emotional body and your your communication skills, both learned and the ones you bring from instinct, which are yes. I think equally as important.
0: Yeah and um one of my clients would so often brilliantly say there's things that you learn and then the learning you need to unlearn certain things that you've uh, learned along the way because they're not serving you. Mm-hmm. you know. And um, that is true as well. Look, Nancy, I know that we have just scratched the surface of the conversation, um, but it has been really rich. I really appreciate you coming and sharing. How can people get in in contact with you? What's the best way? And I think that you mentioned you were going to share a little bit more about how people can access your newsletter. So tell us all of the good stuff. Yes. Thanks for asking. So my company is
1: Clockwork and it's easy to find. It's just clockwork.com. Um, we also have a smaller Agile studio that does uh, work for uh, startups and small and midsize organizations, low-code, no-code, Agile. It's at madebytempo.com. That uh, company is called Tempo. Um, you can find me at nancylions.com. And on nancylions.com, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which comes monthly and is um, full of fun little tidbits. But- the, the primary article is always something about, um, you know, per self-awareness or uh, skills that we can bring to work or. And I, I I, always tell people, I promise it doesn't suck. You know, we, we put our hearts into the content in that in that email and it's not. And interestingly enough, um, we've had thousands of subscribers for several years and we very seldomly see people um, unsubscribe because they and I see I hear from people every month that they found something useful in the piece. So I personally love connecting with people through that. You can also find me on the socials. Um, oh, I have my book, Work Like a Boss. You can go to worklikeaboss.com and find out how you can buy that. Yeah. Or you can find me anywhere, pretty much, TikTok, Instagram, X, um, at, and Blue Sky at Nylons. And it wow. is that way because my name is N. Lyons, Nancy Lyons. The initial makes it look like nylons, but now young people don't even know what nylons are. So I'm fine. <laughs> so that's a whole other conversation, exactly. Uh,
0: you're on LinkedIn, and for some reason, LinkedIn hasn't uh, showed the name, but uh, someone over LinkedIn has uh, appreciated the conversation. So I wanted to share that with you, uh, oh, you cool. Didn't see that. Great conversation. Thanks for your insights, uh, Nancy. Totally, totally agree. So yes, connect on all of the different platforms. Go to the different websites, and uh, as Nancy's said there is incredible value in the newsletter she shares as well and the example that you gave you know the insights from um how to handle difficult conversations i can see why your uh the, the, the woman came up to you and thanked you uh for attending isn't that it's such a small world isn't it that oh um, yeah in the neighborhood um are also on your database as well yeah and, what a joy to be able to share some insights that you've learned over the years, you know, that you can impart. I think there's nothing better than to be able to share something and someone going, you know what, Nancy, that is amazing. And that's why I love doing the podcast because, you know, I'm honored to share other people's stories and insights and, and uh, you know, impact the lives of those who happen to, to listen and, and stumble across the interview. So thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: This was a blast. Hey, it's Anne-Marie. Before I go, are you a coach or a consultant who feels like the world's best kept secret? Your experience is vast, yet secretly you're frustrated because despite all of your hard work, you're just not getting the visibility, the recognition or new clients you'd hope for, and you don't know why? I've created a free resource that'll help you build visibility, generate leads and enroll dream clients with ease because you're seen as a trusted authority, even in a crowded marketplace, and you've Positioned yourself as the choice versus just a choice for your dream client. To get started, go to annemariecross.com forward slash gift. That's annemariecross.com forward slash gift.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio
0: Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.